This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Bob Comsick. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of Fight Back from the week that was. The start of the new year feels like the start of the old one, with what the Ford government calls a temporary move to a modified step two of the roadmap to reopen. Schools are back to online learning, while hospitals have been ordered to pause all non-emergent and non-urgent surgeries to preserve critical care capacity. Indoor dining rooms, gyms, and other indoor gathering spaces are closed, while personal care services and retail stores are limited to 50% capacity and indoor social gatherings are capped at 5. The government says remote learning will last until at least January 17th and free child care will be provided for frontline workers with school-aged children. It's also offering rebate payments for certain businesses that are ordered to close or reduce capacity. Plenty to discuss starting another week with the Zoomer Squad. Peter Muggridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine. David Kravitz, Vice President of Zoomer Media and Chief Membership Officer at CARP. And Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating and Chief Policy Officer at CARP. It's disappointing. Uh, it's taken the joy out of uh, uh, what for many people was... Uh, uh, a good uh, holiday holiday season. What a way, again, to start uh, the new year when I was just looking at my notes here and saw that first thing on one of our agendas was to talk about post-COVID uh, programs for CARP, and now we're right back into it. I had to scratch that one out and, and look at what, uh, what's next. And it's, uh, uh, it's not only disappointing for everyone, but it's... Uh, that's scary, particularly for older Ontarians who uh, have been locked in, locked down, and uh, finally thought they were coming out, and now uh, they're back into the same situation again. David Kravitz, your thoughts? Well, I think I agree, I agree with Bill as to the effect of this, but I don't see that they had any choice. Uh, I watched Ford's press conference, and he pointed out that um, what they're seeing in the hospitals is very short stays, but nevertheless tying up the facilities. The actual ICU numbers um, are not that uh, crazy. Um, December 1st, before all this started, we had 153 adults in ICUs and 780 new cases. December 31st, we had 16,000 new cases just on that day, and only 203 in the ICUs. So, the severity of it may be less. The impact on the ICU may be less. But for the first time, we see an impact on the total hospital system because somebody's got to see these people. They go in, they get checked, they may be hospitalized for a day or two. And that's what the system cannot absorb if these spread numbers are correct. Uh, I don't think they had any choice uh uh about doing this. And the only, uh, the only encouragement I can get out of it is that they're uh, you know, they're limiting it to a couple, three weeks, and they hope by then we'll see the South African uh, pattern, um, uh, you know, a rapid uh, collapse. The biggest worry I have is they've totally given up on testing. So we don't know if any of these case numbers are even true anymore, and that's, that's a big worry for me. 
And you mentioned some of the numbers there. Before we go to Peter here, we haven't forgotten you, Peter. Ontario reporting 13,578 new cases after 16,714 yesterday and Saturday's record breaker, 18,445. But uh, David, you mentioned hospitalizations up to 1,232 now and 248 in ICUs. Uh, Peter, your thoughts? Well, it, it, it's sort of a, a depressing Groundhog Day scenario again. Yeah. But um, on, the, on the bright side, you know, um, they, they did uh, mention that the virus is much less um, severe, you know, fatal than the previous uh, strains. So that that's that's something to take heart to, you know, like it seems like in, in my own uh, family, there was an outbreak at one of, our, one of the houses and, um, you know, it, it was it was like a mild flu. They got through it. You know, none of them went for testing. None of them went to a hospital. They have people of all ages living there. So, um, you know, that's a very small, um, you know, uh, sample size, obviously. But, um, but you know, like like there is hope that this is just a flu, and th- and that the one percent of cases that have to go to hospital will be not um, severe. So that that's the hope of, of all this, and I and I find that to be one cause of um, you know. Uh, one way to look at it, try to try to take a you know silver lining out of this dark cloud. But um, three weeks, as David said, it, in three weeks we'll know a lot better whether these measures uh, work. And hopefully, in three weeks we'll be um, on our way to normal after a challenging winter, like Teresa Tam warned. Peter Mugridge, senior editor of Zoomer Magazine, David Kravitz. Vice President, Zoomer Media, and Chief Membership Officer at CARP, as well as Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating and Policy Officer of CARP, a.k.a. our Zoomer Squad. You're listening to the best of fight back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Bob Comsick for Jane Brown. The opposition parties also weighed in on the new measures, as well as what Doug Ford should be doing and should have done sooner, beginning with Marit Stiles, the NDP's education critic. I was counting it today, and it's been 662 days since uh, Ford first closed schools back in March 2020. And in those 662 days, we still don't know how many classrooms have the proper ventilation. We still are worried about our kids in cafeterias at schools and, again, having proper ventilation. Our teachers still don't have the proper masks. The government has still not provided those. So there's, and, and, and I'll also add, our classrooms are still really, the class sizes are still really big. You have a lot of kids going back into classrooms of like 32, 28, 35 kids. So I think there's a lot that the government has to answer for. Now they're saying, well, they're going to use this time to suddenly miraculously address some of those things. Well, where have you been for 662 days? And I think that is, uh, those are the kinds of precautions that they could have put in place. Um, a long time ago. And I would say we, the NDP, but also like so many of the folks on the front line and the education experts have been saying this for now almost two years. Provincial NDP education critic, Marit Stiles. Meanwhile, Ontario's Liberal leader has repeatedly said recently that Doug Ford's been hiding. After the Premier re-emerged for the announcement, Stephen Del Duca joined me to discuss. Well, I think it's incredibly discouraging for the people of Ontario to know that nearly two years now into this pandemic, that we find ourselves in a position because Doug Ford 
uh, has been missing in action because he didn't take the steps, not just days ago, but I mean months ago, to position Ontario, whether it's schools or it's our economy or it's just generally speaking, the, the state of the fight against COVID, the investments and the effort were just not made when they needed to be made to help us avoid where we are right now, back in another round of crisis. Um, because again, I think Doug Ford just isn't the right person for the job. He doesn't understand what his responsibility is, and he's shown that consistently. So I take it you don't buy his remarks when he says that he listens to science and the experts. Do you feel then that he's listening more to the strategists and only when the strategists say, listen to the scientists, that's when he listens? Well, Ontario Science Table uh, called for what they what they term a circuit breaker uh, back on, I believe it was December the 16th, maybe December the 17th. Here we are nearly three weeks later. There was an announcement made by Dr. Moore a few days ago. Doug Ford didn't bother to show up that day, didn't bother to face the music or speak to us as a people. Um, here we are a couple of days later. And by the way, we were told just a few days ago that my daughter's schools and schools across this province would be opening this Wednesday. Three, four days go by, and suddenly we've discovered they can't open up for two more weeks beyond Wednesday. I mean, it's a it's a consistent uh, cascading comedy of errors from Doug Ford, and I, I just I I don't know if there are many people left in the province who have any confidence and faith in his leadership. But I think if there are, that 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 confidence and faith has really, really, really been shaken today, and understandably so. Ontario Liberal Leader Stephen Del Duca. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Bob Comsick for Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, the burden of Omicron on our hospitals. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Bob Comsick. On Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. After hearing from the Zoomer Squad just as the government's restrictions announcement was made Monday, guest host Jane Brown then got reaction from our weekly strategy panel. Karen Stintz, CEO at Variety Village, Charles Souza, a former Liberal Ontario finance minister, and John Capobianco, a conservative strategist and senior vice president, senior partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road. If you look at all the healthcare professionals, they've got one single interest, and, and it's obviously to make sure that that people's health is, is looked after, the hospitals and beds are available. Then you look at businesses, big and small, they've got their own interests. So when they have these competing interests where businesses are saying to the premier, you've got to keep us open, we can't afford another lockdown, we, we can do this, we've got all the right method, methods and, and cleaning services, and then you've got healthcare saying, no, no, you have to lock us down the minute that they have something happening, a, a pandemic. That's what the governments are dealing with. So it's easy for someone to say, well, we should have locked down two weeks ago. We should have locked down the minute Omicron came on. But when you have businesses who are surviving and you've got people who are relying on jobs for their livelihood saying, look, if we can do this, we can withstand this. Premier Ford did the best he could based on making sure that he saw what was going on with Omicron, with the cases over the course of the last little while. And then when he finally realized that hospital beds and, and hospitalizations were going up, he shut it down. Mm-hmm. And of course, now people are saying, well, it's not too, it's not it's too late. It's too, too soon. And you're never going to make anybody happy. But I think the fact is, if everybody gets vaccinated, if you get the, if you get the vaccine and the booster shots as much as you can and on testing, then things will, you know, will be under control. But you can't, there's no, there's no single bullet solution to this. 
Karen, yesterday's announcement, I know you're as the CEO of Variety Village, it's personal, right? It means you're shut down again as of tomorrow. Yeah. And, you know, I, I kind of disagree, actually, with, with John and that everyone's doing the best they can because what has been consistently absent from this government is a strategy for how we're going to deal with what we know. And 12 weeks ago, one of the members of the science panel said, or not 12 weeks ago, sorry, a few weeks ago, he said, in the next 12 weeks, every single person is going to be exposed to this virus unless you're a hermit. So we knew. There's nothing that's unfolding now that we didn't know. But nobody at the time stood up and said, in light of that, we are going to keep the schools open. And here's how we're going to do it. In light of that, here's how we're going to keep businesses open. And here's how we're going to do it. No one said any of that. They, they handed out the test kits willy-nilly at the liquor store as if, like, what was that going to do? instead of actually keeping them so that when the kids went back to school, that they could be used in a strategic way. So I'm sitting here as a citizen, aside from the fact that my business is closed again, and I can't lay off my staff anymore because I've already laid them off twice. So now I'm just going to pay them because I, I, I don't want them to go somewhere else. And my kids aren't in school because online is not actually learning. And so I'm thinking, I'm sitting here wondering, in light of everything that we knew, in light of all the decisions that we could have made, nobody said the messaging that we needed to hear that, yes, you know what, if you get vaccinated, you're probably going to get COVID and your symptoms are going to be mild. And here's how we need to look at this. And here's what we're going to be up against. And here's how we need to now consider quarantine. And here's how we're going to get the kids to school. It's been 26 weeks, half of an entire year that students in Ontario have been learning virtually. And and so much has been made of that, uh, Charles, just to go over to you, that more should have been done earlier so at least the children could physically be in the classrooms this week. And And had we shut everything down two, three weeks ago in anticipation of going back to school after the winter break. It, you know, it might have been different for the schools at the very least. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was with two teachers yesterday uh, watching the news, and they're infuriated because they have children themselves. They're trying to manage their classrooms while still attending to their own children in their home, and they're frustrated because everything seems to be, doing, seems to be done last minute. And it's indecisive. I mean, they go back and forth with some of the decisions. Um, the, the realization is that good government is paramount in these issues. And that means the, the notion initially by Doug Ford and some of the other members from the federal government who are conservative want to have less government uh, in the situations that we have had in the past. But slashing and privatizing these vital services are not the answer. We need to ensure that ahead of time we would have had some of those services ready and some of those strategies in place to ensure that the students would still be in school. And the biggest problem isn't the COVID virus itself. It's just the mental health of some of these students, these young people that are suffering and not having socialization and the stress is putting on families. Charles Souza, former Liberal Ontario Finance Minister, John Capobianco, a conservative strategist and senior vice president, senior partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road, and Karen Stintz, CEO at Variety Village, who make up the strategy panel. This is Zuma Radio's Best to Fight Back. I'm Bob Comsick for Jane Brown. As part of the new measures, hospitals have been ordered to pause all non-emergent and non-urgent surgeries and procedures in order to preserve critical care and human resource capacity. 
To help us understand what this means to Ontarians and Zoomers, Jane was joined by Dr. Jamie Spiegelman, internal medicine and critical care physician at Humber River Hospital, Dr. John Granton, staff physician at University Health Network and intensive care specialist at Toronto General, along with Dr. A.L. Golan, intensive care physician at Mackenzie Health. It comes from the fact that, unlike the previous ways where there are, there are issues with number of beds or, or medications or resources as PPEs, the, the number one problem now is human health resources where there just aren't enough staff. Uh, there aren't enough staff for a variety of reasons. Enough staff need nurses, uh, respiratory therapists, physicians, all the allied health, and it's partly because of the expected burnout. Uh, some people have left the field. Some people have retired. And so the issue stems from the fact that, well, we know you, you might have uh, the number of beds available. You don't have the expertise to staff those beds. And so in an effort to redeploy people to where they are most needed during this fifth wave, uh, what they're doing is they're, they're trying to cancel anything that is not as essential and redeploy people. So you may have the ability to operate and you may have a certain number of operating rooms, certain number of hospital beds for those patients. You don't have the staff to actually take care of them. Dr. Spiegelman, um, can you identify for us what non-emergent and non-urgent surgeries and procedures look like? Like, give us some examples. Sure. Any, any elective surgery, for example... Uh, knee replacement, hip replacement, things that are not completely emergency that are acutely required are, are non, are non, uh, urgent. So, uh, many surgeries that are pre-booked would be considered that. Uh, there are exceptions to that, of course, like cancers, uh, for example, uh, that are known to be aggressive. Surgeries are still going to go on for those in our hospital at least. Uh, but things like, knee replacements, hip replacements for arthritis, um, elective cosmetic surgeries, for example, those are going to be deferred for at least the next couple of weeks to see where this is going in terms of where the pandemic and this fifth wave is going. Dr. Granton, so what percentage mm-hmm. of procedures, surgeries would be the ones that Dr. Moore is talking about pausing in Ontario? Well, there's there's a prescribed ramp down in, in uh, surgical volumes that um, is, is sort of mandated by the province and uh, through the different directives that come down from the province. So it's usually not uh, something that an individual hospital will in, impose, but individual hospitals will have to calibrate based on uh, what was mentioned around their current volumes within their hospital and what they can accommodate. Um, and that's often driven by bed availability and also ICU capacity for acute uh, events um, or or um, major surgeries. Um, but uh, each hospital will will decide what it's, it's capable of doing to some extent. But a lot of this comes down for the province, and we adjust our our surgical volumes and clinical volumes accordingly. So we also have a ramp down in other forms of care, uh, regular medical clinics and other things. So so the impact is pretty broad-reaching. And we're also trying to, uh, you know, clear up the backlog from the previous three waves. So this is, this is a really unfortunate situation for people who have been waiting for elective surgery who are, frankly, suffering from uh, pain or disability uh, who really need surgery. But it's not imminently life-threatening, but it is disabling. 
Dr. John Granton, staff physician at University Health Network and intensive care specialist at Toronto General. Dr. Jamie Spiegelman, internal medicine and critical care physician at Humber River Hospital. And Dr. E.L. Golan, intensive care physician at Mackenzie Health. I'm Bob Comsick, and this is Zuma Radio's Best to Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Bob Comsick. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics, and we also rely on you for your valued opinions. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Ron in Toronto is frustrated by what he feels is a lack of a plan on schools. It's upsetting. And I, I listened to the entire news conference there, and I listened to the premier. But it's, uh, it's upsetting how one of the journalists, I believe, here in Toronto, uh, I'd asked the, uh, the premier on specifically, what was the Ministry of Education um, going to be doing within the two-week period that we're asking kids to be back on e-learning? And he just couldn't answer them. He just couldn't give Ontarians uh, an answer on that. Last week, uh, he was prepared to send them back uh, to uh, to the classroom uh, Wednesday. Now he's uh, delayed it a further two weeks, and we all know very well uh, that there's going to be a further delay. But what's upsetting with the Premier, they had time. Uh, they, they knew. They ought to have known that um, schools were going to be going back today, in fact, and nothing was prepared. And now he's saying that things are going to be done. But when asked what specifically the ministry is doing, he doesn't have an answer. He talks about a toolbox and all the tools being used. But what, is it a play school toolbox? What what toolbox <laughs> is the premier using? And it's annoying, uh, Bob. It, it really is. Zeta in Mississauga thinks the province should have taken steps sooner. Um, watching weeks ago, the Omicron exploded around the world, Quebec. Experts all along is worrying about the hospitals and school system crashes. So, because of tsunami of patients. So why Mr. Ford did not implement public measure before the holiday when we know that infection numbers will climb and, and we know that even the vaccinated are not going to be spared from this. So why encourage people to line up and expose to the, the most contagious virus for the rapid test? So the party and the gathering and sports arena to carry on. These tests are more crucial for the frontline workers. We are lucky, and it's a good thing that it's a flu-like, but it's still a very serious problem. Physician on schools has Cheryl in Kingston scratching her head. I just have one question. Before uh, the reopening of the schools now, so on the last one, the government supposedly did everything to make the schools safe. So if they then... Uh, put 70,000 HEPA filters in schools to make them safe. How come now they have to put another 30,000 in? Did they lie or what happened? Richard in Roscoe, Illinois, outside Chicago, weighed in on those vaccinated who've caught COVID. Well, actually, I'm, I'm looking at all this, and you're, you're, we're talking about vaccination, and yet people have the disease, can walk around, and how infectious are they? I mean, maybe... 
you know, they're talking about five days being, um, being able to spread this disease. You, you are going into a restaurant vaccinated and still have the disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the transmission rate for people that are trans, that are, are vaccinated? Staff shortages in hospitals and elsewhere are on the mind of Murray and Moulton. Both of my comments have been covered, but uh, uh, the shortage of staff is all across the board. Gold Transit's going through it right now, and that's why the schools are shut down. As Doug Ford said, he doesn't know who's going to show up for work, who's going to look after the kids when they get there. And uh, do you have any sense, doctor, on how many people are actually showing up because they had a rapid antigen test and it showed positive and they wanted to uh, reconfirm it? Daniel in Toronto offered his take on our health system and believes it does not deserve a passing grade. I believe our health system, not only in the province, but in the entire country, uh, is a failure. And I'll explain why. A nurse from the 1950s or the 1960s, first and foremost, was trained to act as a nurse in an ICU situation, whether it's wartime, catastrophic disaster, whatever the case is. The vast majority of nurses in our healthcare system are not trained to function in an ICU department. The province had two years to correct that, and yet today we still find ourselves with a lack of that resource and complete unrecognition for that level of expertise. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week is Pat in Toronto, who does not feel it's all the politicians' fault. Well, actually, I'm, I'm looking at all this, and you're, you're, we're talking about vaccination, and yet people have the disease, can walk around, and how infectious are they? I mean, maybe, you know, they're talking about five days being, um, being able to spread this disease. You, you are going into a restaurant vaccinated and still have the disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the transmission rate for people that are, trans, that are, are vaccinated That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us between noon and one weekdays. Or if you care to comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca, follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby, and call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Bob Comsey. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.